Hello and welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm Amy and I'm here with Brad. Good to be with you, Amy. Always fun to be in the closet here talking about Jesus. I love it. Yes, it is. Well, Brad, we are continuing our series through the book of Acts. And last week we looked at Acts 2 and the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit. And that chapter ends with thousands of people believing in Jesus. Yes, and the church begins to come together and share resources. It's a beautiful picture. It really is. But then in chapter 3, we start to see trouble in paradise, don't we? Yes, and here we have the first time in Acts when the disciples begin to face persecution for speaking the name of Jesus. But it definitely wouldn't be the last. That's for sure. Well, it all starts when Peter and John see a lame beggar and they heal him in the name of Jesus. A crowd gathers because, well, they're astonished by this miracle. And of course, Peter starts preaching again. And Peter doesn't mess around. This isn't seeker-sensitive stuff. He says things to the people gathered like, you killed the author of life. And he gets straight to the, to the point of the gospel. Why don't you read chapter 3, verse 19, Amy? It says, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Wow, that's a great summary of the gospel message. It is indeed. And Peter ends this message by giving them a stern warning not to ignore this message of Jesus. He quotes a a messianic prophecy from Deuteronomy 18 saying, anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Wow, you're right. Peter did not pull any punches. No, he doesn't. And then he says, indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So again, Peter is warning the people of Israel not to ignore the coming of God's kingdom. He says that all the prophets leading up to this time have been speaking about what's happening right now. So believe it. Yes. And he also quotes God's covenant with Abraham as if to say, the whole world is going to be blessed by this and we Jews get to hear about it first. So let's not miss this opportunity. Yes. That's a great summary of how this message ends. And then at the beginning of chapter four, the religious leaders show up. That's right. Luke tells us that the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees show up. And when the captain of the temple guard is coming, it usually isn't to give you a pat on the back for your good work. No, it really isn't. And they seize John and Peter and they put him in jail. It's interesting that Luke highlights that the religious leaders were particularly offended by the fact that these two men were teaching that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. This would certainly have discredited the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yes, and in general, the religious leaders were the ones who were supposed to be teaching and instructing the people, and I'm sure they did not take kindly to these men from Galilee stepping into that role. Yes, I imagine they didn't like that. Uh, But despite all this, verse 4 tells us this, But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So despite the cost of the disciples and the persecution that begins to happen, the church is growing. Yes, in fact, there are two patterns that begin to emerge starting in this chapter. First, despite persecution, and in some cases because of it, the gospel continues to go forward. And second, despite persecution, the disciples continue to be bold. They don't give in to fear and threats. Absolutely. And I can imagine they certainly felt fear and apprehension like any human being would have had. But they had firmly decided that it was worth the cost and they were going to trust God. Good point. And I'm confident that in this first run-in with the authorities, Peter and John were not naive to the fact that they might get in trouble for preaching the gospel. After all, they had just seen all that had happened to Jesus. 
So they knew they were taking a risk in ministering in Jesus's name. And yet Peter's boldness continues. They are then brought before the religious rulers and asked to give an account by what power or what name did you do this? And this is one of my favorite exchanges in the book of Acts. Peter has such courage and faith in his response to the religious leaders. Do you want to read verses 8 through 10, Amy? I do. It's one of my favorites, too. Here, here's what it says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. What a great testimony about the power of Jesus. Absolutely. And again, Peter is straight to the point and says next, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, we often talk about how a verse like this would be offensive to people today, and that's certainly true. But can you imagine standing in front of the religious rulers of Israel and saying, hey, the only way you're going to find salvation is through this man, Jesus, that you just crucified. Now, that was bold. It, yes, it was. And verse 13 tells us that the leaders saw how courageous Peter and John were, despite the fact that they were unschooled nobodies. And they attributed this boldness and courage to the fact that they had been with Jesus. That's also a great testimony. Yes, I can only hope that people might say this about our teams that go out. In fact, a number of years ago, we had a t-shirt at our training that had this verse on it to help our teams remember. Yeah, that's right. I think I have one of those. Yeah, me too. Well, the next verse is equally wonderful. It says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. The power of God spoke for itself. So what could they do? Yes. Yeah, so they send everyone away and the Sanhedrin talks about what are, what are they going to do about these bold followers of Jesus? And it's a dilemma because everyone in Jerusalem knows that this miracle has happened, uh, but they don't want this teaching to keep spreading. Right. And so they bring them back in and command them to no longer speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And I love Peter and John's reply. This is what they said. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. That is a great response. And Amy, I pray that this spirit of boldness and willingness to risk for Jesus would come alive in our churches. I mean, this was risky business, as we've said, for Peter and John. The Sanhedrin could have easily severely punished these men. They had no idea what the consequences of their decisions were going to be ahead of time. And we have to remember, again, they just saw Jesus sent off by these people to be crucified. Now, this time the leaders just threatened them and let them go, but there, there would uh, be other times where they would eventually suffer greatly for the gospel. That's so true. And I love the fact that the first thing they do in response to this is to gather with the other believers in prayer. And they're disturbed by all this opposition to the gospel. They quote the Psalms in verse 25 and say, why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? But they end their time together by saying, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So they know the leaders are raging against them, but they're asking for the power to keep speaking boldly. Yes. And they could have said, uh, consider these threats and make all this trouble go away. But instead they say, consider these threats. You know, these, these difficulties are in your hands, God. We're trusting you with that. But we're going to keep speaking boldly. So help us to do that faithfully and show your power, Lord. And then the place starts shaking. Yeah, you ever been in a prayer meeting and the place started shaking? I can't say I have, have you? 
Well, I've started praying because a place was shaking from an earthquake, but that's not quite the same thing. No, I guess it's not. Well, we also see at the end of this chapter that all of this serves to bring the church together. Verse 32 says that all the believers were in one heart and mind, and they're sharing their possessions and they're continuing to speak about Jesus. Yes, when the church is on mission together and praying together and being bold for Jesus together, they tend to be of one heart and mind. But when they get lethargic and develop an unhealthy inward focus, that is when petty issues start to creep in, in my opinion. Yes, this this reminds me of something we said in a podcast uh, this last fall when we were answering the issue of whether the church could get weaker or would get weaker if we sent lots of people out to the nations. And at that time, we pointed out that being missional and being outwardly focused really serves to strengthen the church. Yes, obeying God tends to do that. So right. This reminds me of my kids, Amy. It's usually when they're bored and don't have anything to do that they start bickering and getting in trouble. But when they're doing something exciting together, then things that happens much less. I can't believe that your sweeties would ever bicker or get in trouble. (laughs) Believe it. It happens with churches and kids. Well, Brad, we've gotten to the end of chapter four. Any final thoughts on these two chapters of Acts? I think one of the things that these passages in Acts can help us with is developing a biblical view of risk that there are risks worth taking in life, particularly those that involve seeing the gospel go out into the world. But we live in a very risk-averse time. Yes, we certainly live in a time and a place that is very safety and security-minded. I would even go so far as to say that these things have become idols for many people in the church. And I often wonder how we will be part of the gospel going to the ends of the earth if we aren't willing to risk for Jesus. That's a good point. And while there are certainly foolish risks out there, Taking a risk in order that the souls of men and women might be saved and God might be glorified is no foolish risk. No, it isn't. And I'm so thankful that the first century church wasn't risk averse. They said, we know the risks, but enable your servants to speak with great boldness. Oh, may we have the same spirit. Brad, I have a feeling this won't be the last time we talk about being willing to risk for the gospel. No, we will continue to see it throughout Acts and we'll continue to help our listeners think about a biblical perspective on risk. I'm looking forward to it. Well, Brad, that's all the time we have on this episode of the One Link Podcast. As always, you can write to us with any questions or ideas for our podcast. We'll see you all next time. See you then.